Jane Butel, Chili, Tequila, Great Southwestern Cuisine, and Recipes, Recipes, and Recipes. It's subtitled, It's a Fruit, Not a Vegetable. This is Episode 11 on What Has My Attention Podcast. Published December 23, 2020, if you enjoy Southwest cooking and or tequila, and you've got a little time this holiday season, you've landed on the right episode. Some of the topics covered with Jane in this episode are prepare to make great chili, great guacamole, and there's great tequila. The healing properties of tequila, the perfect margarita, the origin of margaritas, and recipes, 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 the cooking school, And if you can't get it fresh, the best brands of chili Jane recommends, Jane's culinary tours, and to cut to the chase, head over to janebutelcooking.com. Did I mention tequila? A lot. Welcome, Jane, to the show. Well, I'm really glad to be here. I know. (laughs) It's wonderful to be with someone (laughs) that's been so much in New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Well, I spent... uh, most of my adult life in Santa Fe from, um, well, I was 32 years old, and and anyway, I was there for like 24 years. So, Well, they say once sand gets in your sandals, you'll always be back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We actually met from Virginia Rodriguez, I think, um, sent me an email because she had just been on a call. Yes, with- from the... We happen to be the... I happen to have the good fortune to be with her on a breakout. Uh, from a webinar last week. What, what webinar was it? It was from David Rickland. He has a um, uh, self-growth mm-hmm. a website, and he has quite a lot of following, and he does quite a few webinars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Virginia has a magazine here in, um, actually, Encinitas, Carlsbad, California area called Epic. So, uh, Yeah, she wants me to contribute to it. She sent me um, an author's sort of a spec sheet on they like and what they require. Mm-hmm. And so I intend to follow through. Yeah. So everybody out there listening is probably going, what's this episode all about? And we're going to be talking about chili because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one thing I wanted to lead with is, um, you know, basically what brought you to uh, reach out to me? I mean, you know, and uh, why do you think Virginia actually recommended we have a conversation? Well, I'm, I started talking about, I have a sort of a passion for chili health. Um, mm. I, I really think that if you eat, I like this little bit of research from the University of Philippines that states that if you eat le- at least a half a teaspoon of the hottest chili you can endure at least two-thirds of the time, your lifespan will be greatly enhanced and, and that you will not have the incidence of cancer or heart disease and life-threatening diseases are fundamentally out the window. Mm. I know not everyone agrees with this, but it certainly worked for me. <laughs> oh, nice. You have a personal story around that? Uh, well, I've outlived both my parents, um, <laughs> my dad by a lot. Um and uh, my father always liked chili a lot. My mother was Swedish, and she never she eat it, but she she wasn't so much into it. And mm-hmm. she did get cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad just had a cerebral hemorrhage, which was horrible. But no, I don't I don't think um, chili possibly would have would have helped that. But um, 
I guess I've always just really liked chili. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fond of my father who just loved chilies. And it was just always a, a fun thing. We moved around a lot when I was real little. Dad was in the Navy. And then when we settled down and he inherited a farm in northeastern Kansas that he had personally grown up on, uh, we grew chilies. Uh, not a lot, but some. Because mm-hmm. the soil there is a little too rich. Um, as I was in my corporate career, I tried to grow chilies in uh, New York State and Kentucky, mm-hmm. and they get flourishing and set on a lot of fruit, and it is a fruit, not a vegetable, but they'd mildew, they wouldn't grow big, and mm-hmm. what, <laughs> chilies love New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, what, what what kind of environment and soil and stuff like that do chilies like? They like a sandy soil mm-hmm. with limited uh, rain. In fact, a real interesting statistic is that you can have up to 15 different heat units on one plant at any given moment. Chilies don't really stay real strict to their DNA. In other words, you, you can have this huge uh, variation in, in uh, heat units or, or the spiciness or the hotness of a chili mm-hmm. uh, just at one, any one particular point in time. I've never seen this written or researched, but I'm positive it's true that the amount of heat a chili bears by the time it becomes a ripe fruit or a pod, uh, I think it's highly dependent on the amount of uh, moisture that's mm. on the roots and on the leaves at the time it turns into a fruit. Mm-hmm. So what, are you saying less moisture or more, more moisture or some sort of well, cycle? Well, when we used to grow, for a while we had a, a little acreage uh, on the Pecos River. That's how I named my spice company. Mm-hmm. And uh, when when we first started selling chilies in 1978, people wanted them mild. Mm-hmm. And uh, chilies are habit-forming. They're not, um, uh, they're not addictive. Mm-hmm. And yet they're a first cousin of uh, nicotania, which is tobacco. But oh. tobacco is uh, addictive. Mm-hmm. And so, but the more a person eats chili, the more you want to eat chili and the hotter you desire it. So mm. it has some of those habit-forming aspects. Yeah, that was, my, that was my case. I think I told you on a previous conversation when I first moved to Santa Fe in 1985, I went to a restaurant and I had blue corn, green chili, chicken enchiladas. Oh, and, I think that's a favorite. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure it's a favorite, and it became my mission for a year on weekends to actually just try to find the best the best restaurant that had that. And I ended up in um, Española, and I'm trying to remember uh-huh. the name of the restaurant. I think it was called Molly's is what I want to say. And it was family-run. Uh-huh. Nobody spoke English, and it was like a religious experience. It was wonderful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really, really nice. Yeah, they're so yummy. They're really, really good. Yeah, they're really and good. And I think uh, I think a lot of the restaurants and a lot of the people kind of short circuit the sauce. They they just use mm-hmm. uh, canned or frozen chilies mm-hmm. and thicken the sauce a bit with flour, cornstarch, and call it good. Yeah. I like to build a sauce, uh, sort of like you build a um, you know a white sauce or a gravy, but build it with a lot of flavor. So how do you build it? Let's talk about the building blocks of, of creating a great chili sauce. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's like making gravy. You take some kind of shortening. Um, people tease me about the fact I use lard, but lard is yep. the healthiest of all solid shortenings. Yep. You can use lard, you can use butter. Um, and there's a, 
kind of a real old-fashioned saying that if you want a, a thin sauce, use one tablespoon of shortening to one tablespoon of flour to one cup of liquid. And if you want a medium one, it's two to two to one cup of liquid. Or mm-hmm. if you want a really thick so- uh, sauce, like you're going to make a souffle, then it's three to three to one. So I like to use a medium. So you take two tablespoons of, let's say, more people will like butter than lard, so you mm-hmm. take butter. And then I, to build some more flavor in it, um, I add about two-thirds of a cup of chopped onion, mm-hmm. and then I add my two tablespoons of flour. So I cook the onion until it's kind of clear, then add the flour. Cook it so the flour kind of incorporates with the butter, but I don't worry about it browning. I don't want to burn the onion. And then um, to that, I add a cup and a half, which makes it a little bit on the liquid side mm-hmm. of uh, double rich chicken stock and uh, minced garlic and a pinch of cumin. And it gives it a really nice balance of flavor. And then you can add four to six green chilies that are parched, peeled, and again, coarsely just chop them width rise, don't chop them lengthwise. Mm-hmm. And fold the uh, green chilies in just about mm, three to five mi- minutes before you're going to make enchiladas. Mm-hmm. And then only add the chicken at the very last second because the chicken will have been poached or cooked. And if you add it too early in the process, the chicken will turn to like chicken thread. <laughs> ah, okay. Awesome. You know, I got I'm going to tell a short story about my introduction to green chilies, which was I arrived, I want to say it was October 27, 1985 in Santa Fe, and it was a Sunday. Wow. And everything uh-huh. was everything was closed down. That was the way it was then. I mean, a few gas stations were open, but nothing else. And I'll I right, yeah. I remember pulling into downtown near the plaza and there was a Piggly Wiggly store there, and it was closed, but there was a guy out there in an old green I think it was a green Ford pickup truck. And in the back of his truck were these gunny sack bags. And there was a roaster sitting outside with a propane tank on it. And Oh, for roasting green chili. <laughs> yeah. So I, I drove in and parked alongside of him. He spoke no English. I spoke no Spanish. But I got to tell you, it was one of the best days of my life because people would drive oh, really? up. Oh, yeah. People would drive up and buy a bag of green chilies, a gunny sack bag for like $25. And then they would. Uh, And he'd roast them. And he'd roast them. And then they would take them home and spread it out on plastic garbage bags, I think is at least that's what I learned to do later. And then just peel the chilies, stick them in baggies and freeze them. But see, I I take a different point of view on that. I was looking forward Um, to this. (laughs) Well, actually, uh, I don't like to use those rotating drums. Uh, I like to uh, parch them. I call it parching rather than roasting Mm -hmm. because by definition, roasting is when you cook something all the way through. Parching is when you just blister the outside. So I like really hot, hot heat like um, on a grill outside or Mm -hmm. under the broiler in the kitchen. And then as soon as they're nice and parched and fairly uniform brown blisters on them, then I immediately plunge them into something cold, like ice water or at least cold water, mm-hmm. and that stops the cooking. So when, uh-huh. the, when you do them my way, you're, um, the flesh of the green chili, say, oh, maybe an eighth of an inch thick. Mm-hmm. When you do them the other way and you let them just kind of cool on their own, uh, most of the moisture goes out and chilies are like 92% water. Mm-hmm. So you have just like paper thin flesh. I mean, it's not nearly as thick mm-hmm. and it's chartreuse color instead of bright green. And 
uh, vitamin C is air oxidizable vitamin. Mm-hmm. So you've lost a lot of the nutrition if you don't um, kill them. Oh, that makes total sense. Well, I'll have to try <laughs> that next time. And then it's so much easier. You leave the skin on. Mm-hmm. Um, chilies that you freeze, I freeze them like strawberries. So once I've uh, parsed them, peeled them, chilled them, drain them a little bit, put them on cookie sheets and, and flash freeze them. Mm-hmm. And then I put the chilies with the peeling still on, the whole chilies in a bag, mm-hmm. about 12 to the bag. Mm-hmm. And I obviously label them. And you know what? Even if it gets lost in your freezer for a couple of years, it'll still be good mm. because the, um, Leaving the skin on is sort of like Mother Nature's uh, natural protector. When you peel them, it makes them naked and then subject to air oxidation. Got it. Great. Well, a lot of tips. <laughs> no. It's probably more than you wanted to know. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm, a- I'm actually sitting on your website right now. And, and for everybody out there, I want to let you know that – you know, there's a course about Jane, but there's the blog, books, Pecos Valley Spice Company, the cooking school, online classes, featured recipes, and of course, you can contact Jane. So, <laughs> thank you, John. Yeah, tell me a little bit about tell me a little bit about the books you've done, and also the Pecos Valley Spice Company and the cooking school. Well, tell me about everything. Uh- oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, well, I was corporate for twenty years, and then. For matters of the heart, I left a really good corporate job to move back to Santa Fe, mm-hmm. and um, and it, the relationship didn't work out. So I decided rather than go back into corporate, I'd start. I, I always wanted to write this book, and I majored in home economics and journalism. And the book I'd started writing when I was a home economist and doing cooking classes with the local power company. Um, the offers I got. This I was way ahead of myself, and the offers I got were not from major publishers like I wanted, you know, a big, big publisher. Sure. So and when I said, well, I'm free at this point, I'll um, dust off that book and enhance it, and I wrote the Tex-Mex cookbook. I didn't want it to be called that because here in New Mexico, Tex-Mex is almost like a dirty word. Yep. But <laughs> but the vice president of Crown Publishing who wanted the book had been a hippie out here, and um, he'd lived in the rubber tire village north of Albuquerque he called Placidas. Mm-hmm. And he said, Jane, I just love that food. But he said, your title, which was uh, blue corn and green chili, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. He said, people don't like green and blue food. They're they're not going to understand it. They're not going to buy it. He said, we're going to call it the Tex-Mex book. And it was huge. It was a, oh, it's a major bestseller and stayed in print from 1980 to 2012. Oh, wow. Um, which is pretty unheard of for yep. a cookbook. And then just about a couple of years ago, um, Turner Publishing from um, Nashville, I hadn't heard of them, but my agent had. Anyhow, I had eight of my bestsellers republished plus a new one. Mm-hmm. So total, I've written 32 cookbooks, but that kind of counts the rewriting, mm-hmm. you know, the re-edification of some of those. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, living in Santa Fe and New York, so I went back to New York was where I could get, I thought, more opportunity, but I missed uh, Santa Fe. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's how I started the cooking school. It mm-hmm. gave me an opportunity or a reason to spend, I, I did. I started the week-long full participation cooking schools, and I'd take over a and b mm-hmm. in Santa Fe, and we'd cook in the kitchen. So I did that for 10 years, and then finally decided to move back full-time to New Mexico, and the spice business I started at the time, we'd owned the Pecos River Ranch. So we called the spice company the Pe- Pecos River Spice. 
And then the investor I got said, Jane, you can't grow spices in a river, so we're going to change the river to a valley. So that's how the name evolved. And we got pretty big at one point, and I attracted some really bad partners, hmm. one, of him, one of which was really bad. He ended up in prison. Uh, he really cheated me out of a lot. So I decided, you know, um, this fast track and selling supermarkets, it's really a difficult business. So what I decided to do is just go online, and um, I'm still doing it. And Nice. Uh, it's really heartening how people just love our, our chilies are all pure. Um, when you buy uh, pure ground chili commercially, even here, they put silicates in it and they put diethylene oxides. Hmm. which diethylene oxides preserves the color, but it's a declared carcinogen, and the mm-hmm. silicates make it fluffy so it's not lumpy. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have lumpy chili, which means it's always pure. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So we were talking about this. I had mentioned before that uh, I was really ple- pleasantly surprised last year here in Trader Joe's in California to see that they had uh, hatch green chilies you know, in the freezer section. Yeah, well, Hatch has done a wonderful job of marketing. Mm. They say only a small percentage of the green chili that's labeled hatch is grown in hatch, but uh-huh. you know that's how markets evolve. Um, mm-hmm. I can remember that that little town was just you just wink and you'd go drive through it. Yep. Well, they've really put chili on the map. They've done a great job. Yeah, yeah, I remember it. So. Also on your website, I know you have a section called Featured Recipes. So what are the top three recipes that people just that, – that are the most popular that you have that people just absolutely love? And why do they love them, do you think? Probably the real super big one is uh, Bola Red. And mm-hmm. that's my favorite chili. And it's one that my grandfather actually kind of refined and developed. He was in charge of the Santa Fe Railroad. But um, Bola Red – you know, it's really hard for me to answer that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, well, I'm looking. I'm looking at this incredibly long list. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, I have that ten favorite recipes. If you click on that, you're automatically a subscriber to the blog. And we, uh, but of course, you can always unsubscribe. But in there, people always like my guacamole. I call it perfect guacamole, and I call mm-hmm. my margaritas perfect margaritas. Um, what kind of tequila do you recommend? I have my favorite. Well, I like Herradura, but yep. if you if the if yep. you get sticker shock, then I think Salsa's a really good like yep. moderately priced but always very good. It's it's uh, was originally started by a family from Herades, um, the sherry growing portion of Spain, mm-hmm. and so they aged their tequila in oak casks that were originally uh, ones that were used to age sherry in, mm. and so it has a more mellow. Um, this is the Huradura. And does Jose Cuervo and some of the more commercial brands. You're talking about Huradura, right? No, I'm talking right there about Sauza, S A U Z A. It's the oh, okay. Spanish originated um, tequila. In fact, I can remember what before tequila was so big and the little town of tequila, it used to be that uh, only uh, liquor that was made from the blue agave plant had to be made in tequila. Uh-huh. But many years ago when tequila really broke out and got so popular, mm-hmm. then the um, assembly in, in Mexico decided that uh, they could they could get the NOM, the registration mark, mm-hmm. if they had the blue agave plant. But the blue agaves don't grow south of a meridian, somewhat south of Mexico City. And so 
down there, and it's an older style mm-hmm. of tequila. It's called mezcal, mm-hmm. and mezcal is um, still made down there with the blindfolded donkey, and and it has a more smoky, kind of a more raw type taste because it's made in like cottage industry type uh, batches, except for Monte Alban and a few other brands. Yeah, I actually, when I was in college, I in Portland, Oregon, I visited a friend of mine in Tucson, and we went to the top of, I think it was Mount Lemon. And polished off ah. a bottle of mezcal. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a little rougher. It's not quite as uh, yeah, it, yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> a little worm at the bottom of the bottle, kind of. A well, thing. that's the Monte Alban brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, you know so much; it's amazing. So, what's uh, well, Monte Alban is an old, old historic. Used to be considered one of the top 10 treasures of the old world mm-hmm. and it's right overlooking Oaxaca. I still do to this day. I still do culinary tours. It was interrupted this year because of the COVID, but mm-hmm. um, Oaxaca is a Mecca of really fabulous food. And I've enjoyed it since I was a child. And uh, so we, we go down there and we do go to a mezcal factory. In fact, one of the things that's really pretty fascinating, there's a cluster of ancients that still live and talk on, you know, on the, height to the top of the mountains and they make mezcal Mm -hmm. and they can tell the percentage of liquor which uh, i mean percentage of alcohol pardon me uh by blowing through uh, a hollow bamboo um Hmm. piece Mm -hmm. and they're from they can trace their lineage right straight back to asia to china oh my gosh which is really very interesting (laughs) yeah and it's kind of a huge history but um and they make different flavors. And, yeah, you can get coconut mezcal. You can get all kinds. You On our previous conversation, you had a story about Huradura. Do you want to repeat that one? Oh, yeah. Well, my father always thought Huradura was the finest of all tequilas. Mm-hmm. And until somewhere in the 70s, Huradura was made by monks in an old hacienda. Mm-hmm. And they have out front, they call it the oldest and biggest fig tree in the world. But the... Tequila was made uh, in an old copper. They still have it there for tourists to see. An old copper still, like they have on the hills in the Tennessee mountains, supposedly. Mm. And they have the, um, and it's like down by Oaxaca and further south, they have these big, deep trenches where they use a blindfolded donkey to stamp the roasted agave, which is the piña or the center part of an agave plant. It takes 10 years for one of those to develop, by the way. Mm-hmm. So they roast it, and they play, put them in this trench, and they let the donkey stomp them, and then they let it ferment, and that's how they made tequila. It was all hand-done mm-hmm. until in the mid-'70s, uh, Jack Daniels bought it, and then they really enhanced it. Now they use stainless steel. Uh, fixturing and, and whatever, but it's a beautiful distillery to go through. It's really, really interesting and very beautiful with a lot of pink, uh, Bougainvillea. But Jack Daniels then, uh, a few years back sold out to, uh, Brown Foreman of, of Louisville. So, um, mm. Herodera is now going big time and you can buy it almost anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's not sequestered just to old Mexico. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So are you hoping but, uh, are you hoping to get back to doing some tours in 2021 uh, yeah, I have a holdover or? group that we couldn't make it in 2020 and so mm-hmm. I'm hoping I can take a maximum of 15 mm-hmm. and I already have seven that are waiting to go this next June 9 to 15. One other thing I don't know whether you want me to tell you tell this or not but um a friend of mine was doing a promotion for um uh Herodura, right after Herodura had gone 
you know, public with um, Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. And she said, hey, Jane, you're touring the uh, Tex-Mex book. What if uh, we gave you a stipend and you'd ask on all the television shows if they'd like to have a perfect margarita? <laughs> and I was almost 100% successful. People always like to try. Um, 100 uh, perfect margaritas when you have three parts of tequila, and it's a silver tequila, which has the highest alcohol content. It's the least um, distilled, I mean, least aged, I should have said. Mm-hmm. And uh, three parts of um Fresh squeezed lime juice, one part of orange liqueur, and three parts of tequila. So it's pretty strong, but it's very good. <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting because I, I mean, I, I love tequila. I told you the other day with the Herradera. Yeah, I do too. Uh, with Herradera, there's another thing. I, I, I drink it neat with some lime slices on the side, and. I, honestly, it's kind of sounds strange, but there's not a time when I have it like that that I don't have some sort of religious experience. I don't know what it is, but and I feel right, great it's a the next life. Week. If you believe in that sort of thing, yeah, I know. But you know, it's the <laughs> it's the only alcohol I can drink uh, where I don't feel not great the next day. I always feel great the next day. With well. You know, I think there's something really logical to that. You know, if people have stomach trouble or mm-hmm. they're you know, just not too well. A lot of the homeopathic doctors uh, prescribe uh, aloe water or aloe juice. Hmm. And there's a whole line of aloe everything. Sure. And the aloe is a first cousin to the agave. And the agave is what they use to roast and, and, and then ferment and make tequila out of. So it's something that's supposed to help your stomach and aid your health and well-being. <laughs> well, I believe it. I, I totally believe it. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but you're well, doing, I, 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 yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Nope. Ladies first. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say tequila, like margaritas and chili. I think they really do go together for health and sense of well-being. As I mentioned the other day, you know, chilies are the, uh, have the strongest and greatest ability to create uh, internal happiness within your body because they're the greatest endorphin producer. Chocolate is the second. Mm. So if you have that and then you have tequila, which also makes you happy. <laughs> yeah. I was going to tell a story about the origin. Have you heard the origin of the margarita? No. Uh-uh. Let's hear it. That'd be great. <laughs> well, it started in San Miguel Allende, and there was this beautiful woman named Margaret. And it was early in the afternoon or, you know, a little before cocktail time. And she just stopped in to get a drink or check in with the bartender or whatever in this uh, hotel that was downtown San Miguel. And there was um, a man at the bar drinking shooters, which is what you're saying you like to do, the salt and the lime and yep. tequila. And yep. meanwhile, there was a Spanish guitarist playing beautiful music. And it just happened that Margaret had a full skirt on and it was very beautifully shaped and beautiful face. And she started kind of making, you know, like flamenco movements to the guitar music. Mm-hmm. And this fascinated the man at the bar. And he started drinking his, you know, when he was taking his shooters, he was watching uh, Margaret so intensely that he started to miss his lips. So the bartender, not wanting to stop his business, decided he'd aid and abet him. So he put lime juice around the edge of the um, uh, cocktail glass, mm-hmm. crunched it in salt, put the tequila in the bottom of the glass, and that's supposedly the birth of the Margaret, uh, uh, the Margarita, because her name was Margaret. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. I love it. I don't know how the triple sec or the contro got into it, but it mm-hmm. became part of it. Mm-hmm. 
So let me ask you too, do you, do you ever, do you have a perspective on actually how to pair tequila with chili with any other kind of alcohol or wine or anything else? I mean, you know, there's, uh, well, um, I, I, one of the things that I have as I consider a really good accolade, I was invited to the Smithsonian to make my bowl of red mm-hmm. and, um, I invited a local vintner here who's from the Champagne District of France, and they make beautiful champagne. I think champagne goes really well with chili. Ah. And so he supplied 12 cases of champagne, and the Smithsonian said they had the largest ever t- uh, attendance at my presentation, and it was on chili and champagne. Wow. Um, but I think chilies can go into any kind of wine or beer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many textures and types of chilies and there's so many ways to create chilies and mm-hmm. various uh foods and and i always say chilies just help every cell of your body they can help you have the waistline of your dreams because uh if you eat quite a lot of chilies you, you don't eat as much uh high calorie food mm-hmm. um they help your complexion your age your digestion <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, give you a great sense of humor i don't know yeah but, uh, we had mentioned the other. Maybe I should be more specific, but I, I think chili is a, definitely has a stronger flavor. So you want something that will kind of stand up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we also mentioned the other day when we were talking about green chili having a lot of vitamin C in it. So typically, New Mexicans who eat a lot of green chili don't have the common cold as much as as other people. No, we we have a healthier and longer life expectancy. But the interesting thing, though, I think about green chilies is in September, October, when the chilies become riper and they start mm-hmm. to become red on the on on the vine or the mm-hmm. plant. It's like the vitamin C diminishes and vitamin A becomes paramount. Mm. Isn't that interesting? And yeah. vitamin A is a site vitamin for when there's uh, shorter days. It's sort of like you mm. can even think there might be a creator that had something to do with that. Tell me about the online uh, classes you're doing. I'm sure people want to know about Okay, it. well, the the 40-session online class is almost like the Bible of, of chili. It tells you all the things about how chili's how they've evolved, how they react in your body, um, all the different heat units and whatever. Mm-hmm. And and then there's 30-some classes where we start, we cook with green chilies first, and we cook with red chilies. But it is based on text. It does, it's not a video. That it, and it lasts for a little over two months. Mm. But it's self-study. And, of course, I'm right there to communicate and they communicate with each other the people taking the class mm-hmm. then the one that we just released this week it was tamale rolling and we're going to be releasing a lot more video types and i have i have a great number of um i think all 30 sessions of my pbs series are on youtube and then one summer i put a lot of New Mexican and chili type cooking classes uh, on on YouTube called Chilies and Chilies, mm. spelled two different ways. Basically, the pod or the fruit is C H I L E, and the dish we have meat or vegetables is C H I L I. Well, I wondered about that. I was, I, I wasn't going to ask you, but I'm glad you mentioned it because I got a little confused when I was writing stuff up. Is it E or I? Now I know. Well, that's just how I started simplifying it it makes sense to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, i'm curious jane i know there's a lot of people out there that probably have uh, 
gotten uh, real curious about green chili and stuff and chili in general. So generally speaking, in terms of mainstream, and I'm sure it's not the quality that you normally cook with, but what brands out there that people might be able to get a hold of to start uh, start playing around with this chili? Well, I used to be a spokesperson for Ortega brand. Uh-huh. Ortega is um, pretty widely distributed. It used to be Mountain Pass was distributed pretty widely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clemente Jacques, J-A-C-Q-U-E, mm-hmm. uh, is a brand out of Mexico that is very good. I'm not positive. Um, you know, I haven't tried to buy canned chilies. Mountain Pass um, and Ortega brand are probably the two more uh, widely distributed mm-hmm. brands. And, and you can really get some really good flavor with the, those, the canned green chilies. I think if you get used to the fresh, and you know, I go all, I've honestly given cooking classes almost everywhere in the, not everywhere in the world, but a lot of places from Africa to France and on and on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you can almost always buy green chilies. They may not be exactly what you want, but mm-hmm. uh, almost everywhere you can buy the canned. Like I was really surprised in uh, Provence, France. I was there just a few summers ago, and they wanted me to do classes or you know cook for them. And uh, even the little stores would have have them. Mm. And uh, but I think uh, Asia took to chilies, of course, a lot more than Europeans did because of the Bering Strait aspect that. The uh, early settlers in the Americas were mostly of Asian descent west of the Mississippi and of Viking descent east of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So the chilies went back and forth. Chilies all emanated in the Americas. Mm. And supposedly the original chilies emanated or started sort of the Rio Grande where Mexico and, and the U.S. split and going all the way over to the Key West mm-hmm. and the Caribbean because there's a lot of tracing back to the various uh, uh, native peoples that were in the Caribbean or the Caribbean, mm-hmm. uh, they did a lot of work with chilies. Mm-hmm. Wow! So and then they went, then they went to Africa. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've met some people that are um, from different parts of the world, and they talk about chili as well. So I'm kind of curious: are there is there anything? Do you actually play with new recipes? Are you coming up with something new? Do you experiment a lot? Uh, a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm a little dampened by uh, my partner in a way. He's of Swiss-German background, and he didn't have chilies until, um, well, less 10, 12, 15 years to any great extent. I I like to tell this story. Yes, I do experiment. I'm always experimenting. Mm -hmm. My latest book um, was Simply Southwestern. My theory is that I think an awful lot of recipes that are developed have a lot of unnecessary ingredients that sometimes they start and they get the flavor torqued too far, mm-hmm. you know, too much acid, too much whatever. And so they just keep adding more ingredients to balance the flavor. My whole thing is the challenge, I think, is less is best to create pure true flavors, Mm -hmm. and it makes it a simpler style of cooking. So I I work with that quite a bit. Well, I find it really fascinating. Chilies, you know, really took off in in China and and Asia. You know, there's quite a bit of use of them, but they don't differentiate them like we do over here. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is I was fortunate enough to be with a group that was the first first in that we're not politicians and whatever after the communist takeover in China when they were first opening up China after Nixon. Mm-hmm. And 
I got desolate healed, as a matter of fact, because they just weren't ready for tourism. But what was fascinating was that they, they want to know what I'd like to see. And I said, I'd like to see your medical facilities. What were your birthing hospitals like? Well, they took me to one. And it was in all around the old Canton. And um, it was just a cement slab. But the interesting part was their apothecary, which this was still an operational unit, was the old, dusty, cobwebby bunches of chilies. And then they explained to me, the tour guide explained to me that chilies were not allowed to be consumed as food in mainland China until after the communist takeover. Uh-huh. Um, and that's wow. why so much of Chinese food, the Cantonese style and whatever, is so bland. Police the Gobi Desert and, and the far northern parts of China. So that's where the Sichuan and the Hunan and the Mongolian, the really spicy, spicy Chinese food, started and it wasn't until after the takeover of China into the eighties and nineties that, you know, the spicy Chinese dishes became, you know, popular in the US. Mm-hmm. So I, I find mm-hmm. that interesting. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. That stuff. you had to get sick in China before the communist takeover in order to have chilies. <laughs> yeah. I don't I admit I don't understand Chinese culture much at all. I know it's well, very I haven't studied it well. <laughs> I haven't either, but what are you looking most forward to in 2021 or 2022? Well, I'm looking forward to sort of opening things up. We've been in such a sequestered uh, – our governor has had us in lockdown quite a bit. Of course, it's paid off. We don't yep. have nearly as high of death rate. But I'm looking forward to just breaking out again, yeah. um, going back to Oaxaca, doing some more work with Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um Teaching, I, I really enjoy teaching a lot, making more videos and, and traveling. Nice. I, I sort of feel like I'm getting almost rusty. I haven't been anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm feeling you kind feel of the, the same. same way. Oh, absolutely. Although, as a podcaster and stuff, you know, most of the time we're doing it uh, pretty remote anyway. But I do have a home based studio, but haven't nobody has been in here since this whole thing started. So, oh I, wow! Yeah, I kind of. Well, I, I think I, that's really wonderful that you have your studio. Yeah, well, I have a studio, and everything's done remote, and I'm pretty much perfected for myself and our clients in a way of just doing really high quality remote recording because I just love the conversation, and the conversation with you is just like fantastic. I love it. It's oh, really thank great. you. Well, I really enjoy talking with you. <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. Probably going to want to do it again. At some point. I'm thinking, okay. yeah, yeah. So do you ever do any live Zoom calls or any of that kind of stuff at all? Oh, sure. I'd be glad to. I do them constantly. Okay, good, good. And you, so you use Zoom. I, so. I must admit, I, I'm probably on Zoom two or three or four times a week. I was just yesterday. Uh-huh. But I've never been the person that started it. I've always been, you know, the recipient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the guest or something. All right. Well, in wrapping up, I want to actually let everybody know, great website, and it's jamebutelcooking.com, and that last name is spelled B-U-T-E-L, so it's jamebutelcooking.com. Anything else you want to end with? Uh, Well, I'd just love to have you all visit my website. I'd love to have you subscribe to my blog. Um, If you go to jamebutelcooking.com and click on uh, 10 favorite recipes, you're automatically a subscriber. Yep. And um, if you like chilies at all, please give us a try. We have a special on this weekend, uh, 25% off on the favorite chilies and tamale kits. 
Nice. And John, I really thank you. You're, You're wonderful. Welcome. Yeah, so are you. <laughs> this is great. And you enjoy your holiday season as best you can. I will. Thank you very much. And uh, oh, I, I look forward to meeting you at some point. Like I said, my partner Stephanie's well, in Santa will. Fe. And, you know, you're in Corrales, right? So. Yeah, that's just south. Yep. It's not far at all. No, it's not. I'd be glad to drive up there. Maybe I'll get over to San Diego. Today. Well, I mean, you know, what's going to have to happen is I'm going to fly into Albuquerque and then I could just stop by on the way up to Santa Fe. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, good. All right. Well, have a wonderful holiday, Jane. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're so welcome. You have a wonderful one, too. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. 